Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Breed of Stories podcast. A show that provides you with unique personal perspectives to what's going on in the world. We are your hosts at United World College in Mostar. Michelle Wang from China. And Alta Kashura from Poland. Every week, we're interviewing people from Ethiopia, Colombia, and so many more where they share their stories. Visit us on our Facebook page, Bridge of Stories, and join us on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you would like to listen. What does life look like when you're confronted with mass protests on a daily basis? The risk of not seeing your family every day after school. The fear that there will be no food on the table yet again. Today, we welcome a very special guest from the country of Syria on the Bridge of Stories podcast to tell you what is it like to grow up in a war zone. We're very excited to be joined by an amazing guest from Syria today. So can you please tell us your name, where you're from, where are you studying at? I'm Angie from Syria, from Homs, and I'm studying at ULBC Mostar. Great, it's very great to have you here today. So can you just give us a bit of an overview on the conflict in Syria? Okay, I am just going to talk in general. I mean, I'm uh, the city, it's called Homs. Uh, it's actually like the old part of Homs, and you can you can easily see from the news that we actually experienced the war. And usually, people say that Homs is the center of the revolution, so it actually experienced the war. And my my specific neighborhood experienced the siege for two years after the armed uh, military who are against the government entered the city, and then the government were trying to fight to fight them. So there was kind of a siege for two years, and then. During this uh, siege, we had to leave our house and then we had to go to the village because the city was not really safe anymore. Uh, And then after two years of waiting to go back to our neighborhood, um, we were actually lucky to go back, but we were really sad to discover that the city was really, really destroyed by the war. How old were you when that happened? I I was grade five, so around 10 years old. Did that impact your education? Yeah, of course. When we, we had to leave the city, so we went to a village. It's quite conservative, and people are really not open-minded. They were really like they were not really being able to accept the foreign people, especially people from the city. They had like weird stereotypes about the people from the city. So it was really hard to deal with it. And also, I didn't go to school when I went to the village because we had the hopes that we're gonna go back to our neighborhood. So we waited for a couple of months, and then my my parents were like, "Angie, you really need to go to the school, you know." And then uh, I started to go to the village. It was really hard at the beginning because because of violation, like they beat you, like they beat you if you don't, like if you talk during the class or if you like. It's it's really violent. I really I was I was really afraid there, and then I had like to study there and like face so many like financial like financial problems and like my dad is a lawyer so he kind of lost his his job when we left the city and things like this. It was really like it was really hard to do it. And um, after two years of like waiting to go back to our neighborhood, we were lucky to go back there. But it was, as I said before, it was really sad to see that it was destroyed. But what was really, really nice about this that the people had really hopes, and the people like had like the people were were putting and still putting so much effort to rebuild this place and give it some elements of life. So you mentioned the siege that happened. So what exactly? How did it impact the city? Okay, so um, the siege that happened, of course, it, the around like couple of couple of thousands of people stayed and didn't leave the neighborhood, uh, despite of the despite the siege, and um, I think it 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 affected the the neighborhood because it got the neighborhood destroyed, and also like the people who stayed there suffered from hunger. There were like no food, uh, no clean water. 
the last few months people were eating the grass. So the pictures of the people from the last few months, it's crazy. So I think that's that mostly it, yeah. Did you know anyone that stayed in the city? Of course, it? of course. The most famous person I can I can say is a priest. Uh, his, his name is Franz. He's, um, uh, yeah, his name is Franz. And what he was trying to do there, he stayed there in the neighborhood because he believed of the, the like people, if, if the people stayed there, they can be strong enough to, to say no to the war. And if, during the war, he was working on uh, making the Christians and the, the Muslims reunite again and, and live together. So he was working on this kind of um, uh, sustainable peace. And it was really sad that he got killed a couple of, you can say a couple of, days before the siege was end. So it was it was really sad. Yeah. Well that's terrifying, you know, like we learn how big of an impact it basically had on the people itself, you know, people who moved away, but people who stayed uh, in the city, you know, that's that's very much terrifying. Uh, we're wondering what were the events like in March of 2011? Did they impact the place where you lived or the people around you? Yeah, it, it mostly started in 2011. And in 2011, when it started, it was it was really like from time to time we had no electricity, we had no really water. From time to time we had to stay in the house because it was safe, so we couldn't really go to school. Um, so yeah, but to be honest, besides besides all the things that I talked about about the war, and everything that I'm talking about now, if you're gonna go now to the neighborhood, you won't believe that it's the same one. If you're gonna go now to the neighborhood, you're gonna enter the streets, and you're gonna see just colors on the streets. You're gonna see people. You're gonna see children playing in the streets. You get even though like the streets have like you know this, this like holes because of the the booms and stuff like this. But you can see people still like children like playing football in, in the streets, and you can see people the whole time trying to make activities, trying to to, to like to light their their lives up. Angie, before we started, you actually mentioned how you were there witnessing the events happening in two thousand eleven. What was that experience like? Can you describe it a bit with us? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it was really sad to see that Syria was not safe again because because Syria used to be like really safe for for me. And as a child, it was really sad to see that people like there was like blood, and it was really sad to see that things were getting destroyed, people getting sad, and people started to have that kind of hatred against each others. This made me really sad as a child, and made also my parents sad. Um, but yeah, that's that's mostly it. I was like when it started, I was nine or like ten years old, so I don't really quite remember a lot. But what I remember is like people being really sad about the hatred that started to happen. How did your parents explain to you to the situation? Because I'm assuming when that happened, you were quite young, right? So how did your parents approach the situation? And I think my parents were trying to hide things. Because I think like if they're gonna come to me and tell me like we don't have enough money to buy meat or we don't really have enough money to have like a good dinner for today, I would, I would, that would be like a lot for me when I was 10 years old. So like they were trying to like to hide specifically like the financial situation part. And also like I think like for example, I remember this when there was like, uh, like there was like, you know, the sounds of the guns and the booms outside. So my parents used to turn on the TV and make the, the sound really loud. So we won't really feel it. But like, like it was really, like it was really ironic because me and my brother, we know that, we knew that that was happening, but we were pretending that like we we're so engaged into the TV series to make them believe that we're fine and we're not afraid. But like from inside, we obviously were afraid. And it was really afraid like to sleep at night and you're not, you're not really, 
you're not really sure that you're gonna wake up in the morning and see your parents besides you. And it was really sad when you go to school in the morning and you say bye to, to, to your parents and you're not really sure after you finish school you're gonna be able to see them again. And then you go to the school during the class and there's very loud sounds outside. And you ask the teacher what's happening and then they tell, they tell you there's a boom and there's a, there was a boom at the center of the city and you're like, oh my god, my mom works there, what can I do? And then you get so stressed the whole day and then you go to the teacher and you're like, can I please just call my mom? And then you, you get through these moments and you, you just don't know what to do. For like, for a child, it was really, really, really hard. So I, I'm just happy that now it's it's way better and we got through this. So you could literally hear the sights of war on like daily basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we also, you mentioned how your education was impacted and I assume also your interests were impacted by the war and we learned that you were interested in arts. Did the war impact the way how you demonstrate your arts? In what ways? Yes, of course, of course. Before before I before the war started, I used to like draw like animation figures or I used to draw like nature and stuff like this. But then when the war started, um, my mom is a psychologist, so she works a lot with like the mental health and I, I'm really interested to volunteer in such activities like this. Uh, so me volunteering in these activities and seeing how, how my mom is getting affected by how the mental health of the people got like got really destroyed by the war, it, I started to feel like I really want to do something about it. And especially that I believe that working on the mental health of the people in Syria is the best way to deal with the war. It's, it's really the best way to get into the, the, the real sustainable peace. So I really wanted to reflect this and, and I, I would like to talk about my drawing, the, the last one that I made. Uh, I called it the suitcase and it reflects how if you're gonna take a person from the war and put that person in a safe environment, it's not enough for that person to recover because the, dis the war didn't just destroy the buildings, it destroyed the mental health of the people, it also destroyed the culture. So if you want to fix the problem, if you want to get the peace again, if you want to if you want to get rid of the war actually, what you actually need to work on is the mental health because what got destroyed is not just the buildings. And that's what I was trying to reflect also in my did you see any personal examples around you where this was reflected? The fact that mental health was so compromised by the war? Everyone. It's, it's literally everyone. Because no one didn't experience war. No one didn't experience seeing their parents really worried about how they're going to get food for tomorrow or, or how they're going to leave the house to go to work. No one didn't hear the sound outside. No one didn't see blood. I, I, think, everyone, I think everyone got affected. And it's, it's, a, it's a really serious issue, like really serious issue. So we also learned that you actually wrote a book about the experience from back home. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Huh? It's still not published, uh, but I'm going to talk in general a lot about it. Um, as I told you, I really care about the mental health, especially of the children, because when the war started, I was a child. And I really believe the next gen generation really got affected by the war. And if we work on the mental health of the upcoming generations, we can save it. We can save what's happening. And that's why I reflected on this and I wrote short stories about uh, experiences of children with the war, different experiences, some of them who lost their parents, some of them whose dad got kidnapped, some of them who had experience with ISIS. So it's different, different stories. And each of the stories, there's, first of all, I, I just talked about facts. There was nothing political, just facts of stories that I was hearing on daily basis. And these stories reflect on the painful stories, sadly, that the children were getting through and we were, we were all getting through. 
and uh, reflected also on how strong we were and how how full of hope we are because because people you cannot imagine like how people are full of life like you hear a bone in the street after two hours there's people there they clean it they wash the blood and then they open the stores again and you're like oh my god like two hours ago this happened and they're like okay this happened we sad about it but we want to survive like people 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 love life there they, they always want to survive they're always up to, to to restart again and again and again for example we like we had to leave many times I, I had to change so many schools from place to place to place to place and I'm, I'm really proud of my parents because they were able to restart again from the beginning every time and that's the case with all the parents that's that's so powerful honestly um I'm just wondering are there any stories you know those facts that you can share with us on the short stories that you incorporated in your book I think talking about a specific story would be so stereotyping because I know all the people, of course. Like I know all the people know about the people who who lost their education, the people who lost their parents, the people whose parents got kidnapped. So I think there are like stereotypings for like people to hear about them and and like the people used to see them as numbers sadly on the TV. But like me telling about about this, I I I think it needs so much time to tell more about the pain, about the feelings. You mentioned how you changed the schools very frequently and well, you ended up in a very unique place which is the United World College in Mostar and we were wondering, did the experience in the United World College in Mostar change the way how you see what's happening back home? Or perhaps just how, you know, UWC changed your life in a whole? Um, okay, so I think, I think what I got through in Syria prepared me to come to here. I mean, it was a really sad experience, of course, for all of us, but it, it made us really stronger than before. And I think if I wasn't that strong, I couldn't be able to stand IB or stand the, the diversity here. It was like so much for me at the beginning. And of course, I like the difference in the culture was like a big shock when I came to here. So this thing was like really hard for me. But what was really good about coming to UWC and helped me to understand things more back home is everyone here have different perspective of things. Everyone here has, has their own their own opinion. Back home it's different. Back home all the people uh, have the same opinions. All the people like where this like like all the people are are I don't know like all the people mostly act the same. All the people have the same opinions because we're all like live in a very conservative community and the culture really affects this. But when I came to hear people from all around the world, from different countries, and each of them have, has their own experience, and coming from like very different educational system, culture, different families, that was incredible. Everyone here has their own, own perspective. When I came to you at the beginning, I I was like, oh my god, this is so different. That's that can't be true. And then I was I was trying I was trying to work on myself. I was like, no, Angie, give it a Give it a shot. Try to hear them. Try to listen to them. Try to hear their stories. It might be. It might be right. You know. And then I was trying to hear them. It took me a while to like to like put effort and try to to hear people saying things that it doesn't really make. It didn't really make sense to me. But then later on, I ended up loving talking to people and hearing their different perspectives because every time I hear di different perspective than my perspective. I got to to experience and hear and learn a very new thing, and this helped me to get to know and and understand how the people back home reacted to things in different ways, and how people back home think about the war and about leaving Syria or staying in Syria in a different way. 
So this is um, very much related to this whole UWC mission, right? So would you say that the cross-cultural understanding that you were exposed at UWC and just sparking dialogues among different people can actually help um, people to you know understand each other better and just getting more of a wider context of what's happening in the world and how you can understand them? Of course, that's that's exactly what I was trying to say. Exactly. So I think Michelle will agree with me on that. That. It's very impressive how much you also do personally to uh, make the things back home better by, for instance, writing your book, which is, you know, it's impressive, it's, it's great. So uh, the one last question I wanted to ask you, is your viewpoint on the future of Syria relatively positive? As long as people are still full of love and full of hope, of course. Thank you so much, Angie. It was great having you on the Bridge of Stories podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for you too. Thank you, Angie. Thanks for listening to the Bridge of Stories podcast. Don't forget to join us next Saturday afternoon for the next episode. We'll, we'll catch, catch you there. there.